Amen. All right, well, let's take our Bibles this morning, and I'd ask for you to go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter number 31, Deuteronomy chapter number 31. And if you do not have a Bible this morning, just raise your hand and we can get one to you. And we want you to have a Bible as we study God's Word together. Deuteronomy chapter number 30, we'll begin reading at verse number 1. Just keep your hand up and we'll get one to you. Deuteronomy chapter number 30, and we'll begin reading at verse number 1. We'll read the entire chapter as is our custom, Deuteronomy chapter chapter number 30, and we'll begin reading at verse number 1. you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're trying to get you Bibles if you need a Bible, but we may run out. So if we, if we run out of Bibles, let's make sure the adults get one before the kids, please, because the kids can share. Deuteronomy chapter 30, we'll begin reading at verse number 1. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessings and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out unto the utmost part of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and on them that hate thee, which persecute thee. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand, in the fruit of thy body and in the fruit of thy cattle and in the fruit of thy land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. If thou shalt Hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law. And if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul for this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to Go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God 
and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. And let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, again we come to you this morning asking that you would please bless the time that we have. And Lord, I ask and I pray that you would please uh, help me to be able to have the words to say, to have the clarity of mind, help us to be able to minimize the distractions, Lord. I pray that uh, we would all be attentive, that we would listen, and that we would be able to uh, learn from the Bible this morning. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Well, we're there in Deuteronomy chapter number 30, and like we've already stated today, we're ending our functional uh, family series. And uh, uh, I, I, again, I just want to encourage you, next week we're not going to be in our Functional Family Series, but next week we're going to have a very special service, so we want you to be here and uh, be in your place, and, and I th- it'll, it'll just be a, a nice time, a good time for our church. As, we've been, uh, as we're ending this Functional Family Series, I want to remind you that if you've missed any of the sermons in this series, you're welcome to go on our website, veritybaptist.com, and under preaching, you'll find all the week's uh, sermons since we started. If you remember uh, six weeks ago, uh, we started uh, in a sermon, or seven weeks ago, we started in a sermon uh, entitled An Epidemic of Dysfunction. And we talked about how Satan wants to attack the family, and he wants to destroy the family. And the reason that there's so many, so much dysfunction within the families today is because of Satan's attack on the family. The second sermon, we talked about the heart of the matter. And we talked about your, the, your, the, the heart of your children, and even the heart of your spouse, and not losing their heart, and how you can do that. Then we uh, preached a sermon entitled, A Satisfied Marriage, basically teaching couples how they should be responding to each other and meeting each other's needs. We had a sermon entitled, uh, Parenting Fun children. If you are a parent, you didn't hear that sermon, I would challenge you to go on the website, make sure you listen to that sermon and think it would help you in regards to having a vision for your children and a goal for your children. Uh, then we preached a sermon entitled Advice for Singles, and we talked to the singles, and we uh, gave them some advice and things that they should be working on and doing before they get married. Last week, we preached a sermon just for the kids, and we talked to all the kids, and we're saying kids, we're talking about you know little kids all the way up to older teenagers, even in your 18s, 19s, 20s, and stuff like that. And, and we talked to basically those that aren't married, that are still, uh, uh, you know, in that, in that age of a young uh, person. And uh, today's sermon is going to be the last sermon in our Functional Family Series. And today, we're going to be talking about the role of the church in your family, just kind of as we finish this uh, idea of a functional family. And the, the, this morning's sermon is entitled, The Functional Family Church. And, and I specifically want to talk to you about the fact of why it is that our church is a family-integrated church. Why are we a family-integrated church? And I I think it's good once a year or so to kind of teach this lesson and explain, because a lot of people don't understand why we're a family-integrated church. A lot of you are wondering to yourself, I don't even know what a family-integrated church is, you know, and, uh, but it, it's a big deal around here. And basically, what a family-integrated church is, it's a church that offers no children's ministries. At Verity Baptist Church, we don't have a Sunday school. We don't have a children's church. We don't have a nursery. Now, a lot of times people think, well, you don't have that because you don't know that you should have it, or you don't have it because you're not organized, or you don't have it because you don't understand. Uh, but, you know, we have the volunteers, and we have the space and the room. But a 
family integrated church is a church that takes a position, and our philosophy is to never separate the family. We never want to take your children from you and put them in a different room with a different teacher, with someone else. And there's a reason for that. And I'll be honest with you, taking the position of being a family-integrated church has affected our church's growth. There are people that come here, they say they like the sermons, they say they like everything, but we don't have a youth group, or we don't have a children's church, or we don't have something for their kids, so they'll go on to another, uh, to another church. But you need to understand this. We're not family integrated because we don't know any better. We're not family integrated because we can't figure out how to run a Sunday school. We're family integrated for a reason, for doctrinal. It is our conviction. It is our position. And this morning, I want to just talk to you about what it means to be family integrated, why we do that. You may wonder, why is it that they keep the kids in the service? And I want to just give you some scriptural reasons in regards to that. It's going to be a very doctrinal type sermon. Uh, this would be a great sermon for some of you. I know some of you love to take notes. This would be a good sermon to take notes with and... Uh, We'll begin there in Deuteronomy 31, and I want to explain to you a few things. I got three points this morning. We'll go through them as quickly as we can, and we'll be done. Number one, family-integrated churches. Now, we understand what that means, right? A church that offers no children's ministries, a church that says we will keep the entire family together in the church service, we will preach to everyone, kids all the way to elderly, we won't separate the kids. A family-integrated church and family-integrated churches are patterned after Scripture. For those of you taking notes, family-integrated churches are patterned after Scripture. And I want you to understand this. All throughout the Bible, you find this pattern where the congregation, when they met, they kept the family together. I would challenge you to find for me in Scripture a verse or an example where we are told or we are given the pattern of separating the children and the youth into different age groups and, and putting them in different groups because throughout the Bible, you find this pattern. Now, here's what you need to understand about Verity Baptist Church, and you may not understand that. We are a Baptist church. Now, we're not in a denomination. We're not Southern Baptist. We're not Missionary Baptist. We're an independent Baptist church. What that means is no one helps us. No one is for us. No one is, is giving us any money. But we're a Baptist church by conviction, and here's why. When you are a Biblicist, you are a Baptist. When the Bible is your boss, what that means is we're not taking our orders from a pope, from a prophet, from a priest. There's no president. There's no board of anything above our church telling us what to do. We have one authority in our practice and in our doctrine, and that is the word of God. And when you are a biblicist, then you bind yourself to have to do what the Bible says. So when we start a church, like Verity Baptist Church, and we have to make a decision, well, we have children's ministries, here's what we did. We go to the Bible and we say, well, does the Bible tell us to have children's ministries? Does the Bible pattern a children's ministry? Can we see a Sunday school? Can we see a bus ministry? Can we see a nursery? Can we see a daycare in the church that would give us? Because you got to understand, we're not just doing what's easy. It would be easy to put the kids in another room and, and, and have them off somewhere else. But we pattern ourselves by the Bible. Family integrated churches are patterned after Scripture. Let me give you some examples. In the Old Testament, children were not separated from the congregation. Are you there in Deuteronomy 31? Look at verse 9. Like I said, this is going to be more of a doctrinal type sermon. So I hope you came to study God's Word. 
Otherwise, I'm not really sure why you're here. Deuteronomy 31, maybe the donuts, I don't know. Deuteronomy 31, look at verse 9. The Bible says, and Moses wrote this law. Okay, now the reference is to the Bible. So he wrote this law and delivered it unto the priests, the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and unto all the elders of Israel. Notice verse 10. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, in the solemnity of the year of release, in the Feast of Tabernacles. Now notice verse 11. When, make note of this word, when all, do you see that? When all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God. So when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord thy God, they come to meet with God, with God's word, with God's people. Is that not what we're doing this morning? When all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law, the law that Moses wrote, the word of God. Thou shalt read this law, notice this, before all Israel in their hearing. And just in case you're confused as to what the word all means, in verse 12, he breaks it down. He says, gather the people together, men and women, but the kids are too much of a distraction, so I need you to set up a Sunday school and a nursery and separate them. Is that what it says? Gather the people together, men and women and, notice this, children. And thy stranger that is within thy gates, that, may, that they may... What? Now, why would you gather the men? Why would you gather the women? Why would you gather the children? Why would you gather the stranger? Why would you bring them all together to meet, to hear the word of the Lord, to meet with God, to meet with God's people? Why would you do that? Look at verse 12. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gate, that they... Here's, here's why. That they may hear, that they may learn, and fear the Lord your God, and observe to do all the words of this law. So, when Moses assembled, congregated the people. He said, I want all Israel to hear the word of God. And he said, just to make sure you understand what I'm saying, he said, I want men, I want women, and I want children. Now keep your finger there in Deuteronomy, or actually put a bulletin or a ribbon or something in Deuteronomy. We're going to come back to Deuteronomy at the end of the sermon. So if you're wondering, when is this thing going to be done? When we get back to Deuteronomy, we're, done, we're almost done, okay? That's the last reference we'll look at. But go with me to the book of Ezra. Ezra. Uh, in your Old Testament. Now, you're there in Deuteronomy. The next book after Deuteronomy is Joshua. If you go through Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, you're going to go through six of those 1st and 2nd books. Then you've got the book of Ezra. So if you find those 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, as soon as you get past that, the next book is the book of Ezra. Look at Ezra chapter number 10 and look at verse number 1. Ezra chapter number 10 and verse 1. Because when you're a biblicist, you have to pattern yourself by the Word of God. So the question we're asking is, does the Bible give us a pattern of children's ministries? Well, when we get to Deuteronomy, we see that God wanted the men, the women, and the children gathered together to hear the Word of God. What happens uh, many years later when Ezra gathers the people? Ezra chapter 10, look at verse 1. Ezra chapter 10 and verse 1. Now there's many more references that we could look at this morning. There's many references that say that the entire congregation is to be gathered together, but I felt like that was too vague. So I'm just going to show you the ones that, that just, you know, spell it out for you. Ezra chapter 10, look at verse 1. Now when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, notice this, they're assembled. Okay, that's what we're doing right now. We're an assembly. That's what the word church means. It's a congregation. It's an assembly. He said, they're assembled unto him out of Israel, a very great congregation. Now, who was in this congregation? There assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation. Notice, of men 
and women and what? Children. For the people wept very sore. Go to Joel. Towards the end of the Old Testament, the prophet of Joel. You're there in Ezra. If you can find, find those major, that major, uh, the major prophets, you know those big books, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel? If you can find those books towards the end of your Old Testament, you got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. You go past Ezekiel, you got Daniel, Hosea, and Joel. Look at Joel chapter number 2. Joel chapter number 2, and look at verse number 15. Joel chapter number 2, and look at verse number 15. Joel chapter 2, and verse number 15. The Bible says, Joel chapter 2 and verse 15. Joel 2.15 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Do you see that? So they're gathering the people. He's saying, blow the trumpet. Let people know it's time to gather. It's time to, to, to get together. He says, call a solemn assembly. Look at verse 16. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Now notice what he says. Gather the children and gather the children and those that suck the breast. Talking about a nursing baby. Let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Some people say, well, I don't think you should. You should at least get the, the babies out of here. I mean, keep the older kids, but at least get the babies out of here. But in the Bible, it says that they gathered the children, and he says, and those that suck the breast. He says, a, a child that is of the age of nursing, he said, I want you to bring them in too. Now, go back to the book of Isaiah. You're there in Joel. Just go back uh, from Joel through the book of Hosea, through Daniel, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and find that big book, Isaiah. Let me show you another verse, Isaiah 20. I know we're looking at a lot of verses this morning, but it, uh, we're studying the Bible. That's, you kind of have to look at a lot of verses to study the Bible. Isaiah 28, look at verse 9. Isaiah 28 and verse 9. So go past Joel, uh, go back Joel, uh, you know, Jeremiah, or, you know, all those books, uh, Hosea, Daniel, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, and look at Isaiah 28. Look at verse 9. Isaiah 28 and verse 9. Notice what Isaiah says. Isaiah 28 and verse 9. Notice what he says. He says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? Okay, this is Isaiah the prophet speaking. We've been studying the book of Isaiah. You know there's a lot of doctrine in the book of Isaiah as you've been coming on Sunday nights. And, he, and, and here's what Isaiah is saying. Whom shall he teach knowledge? The book of Isaiah said, who should Isaiah be teaching the knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? The word doctrine means uh, biblical teaching. He said, who am I teaching for? Is, is what Isaiah is basically saying. Who, who am I going to teach knowledge? Who shall I make to understand doctrine? Notice what he says. Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the best. Bible says a nursing baby. When Isaiah the prophet stood up to preach, they said, God said, make sure you bring that nursing baby into the congregation. Now look, I don't understand it, but here's what I know. Children get more out of the sermon than you think. Children are sponges. You say, well, they don't get everything. They don't understand everything, but they get what they need. And they learn, and I, I'm always shocked, at, and some of you come to me and say, man, I'm, my, my, my kid said this, and they got this from the sermon. And you always think they're not listening, and you always think they're not paying attention. But you know what? They're getting more than you think. And, and in fact, God said, when the preaching time comes, I want you to bring the children in, because they're going to get it. And you know what I love about kids? You know what I love? They're not adults. <laughs> say, what does that mean? Well, see, I don't know if you know this, but you're hard-headed. And you're stubborn. And you're lazy. <laughs> and we preach the Bible to you and you say, well, that's not for me. And he's a little radical and I don't think I'm going to do that. But you know what kids never say that? They're always excited about what the Bible says. The Bible says what? We get to do what? So we bring the children in because that's what the Bible says. Now, here's what you understand. In the Old Testament, there's this pattern. 
In the Old Testament, there's this pattern that you brought the children in to the congregation. Now, there's some people listening on the Internet right now, and they're typing up their email and saying, well, we're New Testament believers. Okay, before you send that email, go to Matthew chapter 19. I'm talking to the future listeners that like to send me emails. I don't know why they send them. I don't read them. I just delete them. (laughs) Matthew 19, look at verse 13. Matthew 19, look at verse 13 in the New Testament. First book in the New Testament. Matthew 19, verse 13. Pastor Jimenez, don't you understand? We're New Testament believers. Okay, well, let's see what the pattern was in the New Testament. In Matthew 19, we have a story of Jesus allowing the children to be included. Look at Matthew 19, look at verse 13. Then were there brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. I've been to churches before where the ushers were like these disciples. You got to get that kid out of here. You got to put him in the nursery. You got to get him out of the congregation. We don't want them here. And they brought little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. Verse 14. And Jesus said, Jesus said, suffer. Now the word suffer uh, is, is an older word. I mean, it, it still means the same thing, but, but the, the word there means allow. So Jesus is saying, allow. He's saying, allow them. He says, permit them. He says, suffer little children. He said, allow them. And notice what he says, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus was doing his public ministry, when Jesus was ministering public to people, publicly to people, and they brought the children, and they wanted the children to be there while he spoke, and they wanted him to pray for the children and bless the children. And the disciples said, get those kids out of here. Don't you know we have a children's church? Get those kids out of here. Don't you know we have a Sunday school? Get them in that nursery. Don't you know they're going to be distracting? Jesus said, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want them in. He says, suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, now, now go to Luke. You're there in Matthew, Mark, Luke. Look at Luke chapter number 18. In Luke 18, we have a parallel passage, but let me show you uh, what Luke tells us that gives us a little more insight into these little children. Luke chapter 18, look at verse number 15. Luke chapter number 18 and verse number 15. Luke 18 and verse 15. The Bible says, Luke 18, 15, And they brought unto him also, notice this word, infants. Do you see that? And they brought unto him also infants. Now the word infant is, is a child that's not able to walk yet. So this is younger than a toddler. And they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. And Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer. He says, Allow little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. So in the New Testament, did Jesus give us a pattern of taking the children out of the service and not letting them be part of the ministry? He says, no, suffer. He says, allow them. He says, I want you to be here. Now, now here, go, go to Colossians. You're there in Luke. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You find 1st, 2nd Corinthians, just go a few books over, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Because here's what they're going to say. They're going to say, well, Pastor Jimenez, don't you know that we are now in the dispensation of the, we're in the church age, and Jesus was before the church age, so that doesn't apply to us either. Okay, well, let's get into your so-called church age that I don't even believe in because dispensations are dumb. That's a sermon for another time. Just write that down. When when somebody says to you that they want to teach about dispensations, they're making something up to try to make themselves sound smarter. Just keep that in mind, okay? Colossians chapter 4, look at verse 16. But let's go ahead and go into the quote-unquote church age. What did they do in church, all right? Now, here's what you got to understand, okay? Let me give you a little bit of background, and we'll get off this point. Colossians chapter 4, look at verse 16. I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul 
did when he would send a letter to a church. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16. Are you there? Look at it. It says, and when this epistle, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, okay? So when the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church, he said, I want you, he said, cause that this epistle is read among you, and then I want you to send it to another church and have them read it out loud to their people, and then uh, I want you to take their letter and read that one. So what Paul was saying is, I'm going to write a letter to the church. I can't go there physically, but I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to write a sermon. I'm going to write a, a lesson for the church, and then I want you to take that letter, and I want you to read it out loud to the entire congregation so that they can hear what I'm saying, and then I want you to send it to the other church and let them read it, and then you take their letter and you read their letter so I can teach you and exhort you through these letters. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we read the Bible out loud at church. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let me give you another example. You're there in Colossians. The very next book is 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and look at verse number 27. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and look at verse number 27. 1 Thessalonians 5.27, notice, I just want to show you that this is how the Apostle Paul worked. In 1 Thessalonians 5.27, the Apostle Paul said this, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Do you see that? So when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, he said, I want you to read this to, the whole, to, the, to all the holy brethren. When he wrote to Colossae, he said, I want you to read this uh, uh, among you, and then I want you to send to the church of Laodicea so that they can read it and then get the letter from Laodicea, and you read it. So here's what you understand. When Paul wrote these letters, he meant for them to be read in the church service. You say, well, Pastor Jimenez, why, why does that matter? Why is that important? Go back... Oh, or go to Ephesians chapter 6. Not back to Ephesians, but, but to Ephesians. You're there. Uh, if, you, if you go back through Colossians past Philippians, you'll get to the book of Ephesians. And do me a favor. Keep your place in Ephesians because we're going to come back to Ephesians also. So you should, have, you should have a place in Deuteronomy and a place in Ephesians because we're going to come back to it. But I want you to see this, okay? Now, Ephesians chapter 5, we, d- we preached on that a few weeks ago when we were talking to the c- couples. Because in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul is, uh, is addressing... Husbands and wives. He says, husbands love your wives. He says, wives submit to your husbands. And he's talking to them. Now I want you to notice, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, notice what Paul says. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Some of you parents, you missed your opportunity. You should have said amen right there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, if you go on, you'll read that he then begins to uh, address the servant and the masters. Here's what I'm trying to get you to understand, okay? The Apostle Paul said, when I write a letter, I want you to take that letter, and I want you to read it to the people uh, publicly. So when they're reading this letter, he's talking to the husbands, he's talking to the wives, but then he addresses the children. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. You know what that tells me? The Apostle Paul expected the kids to be in the service. I mean, Paul didn't say, and by the way, I know you got the kids in the nursery, but make sure you get this message to them. No, he addressed them like he addressed the adults. He said, let me talk to the husbands. He said, let me talk to the wife. He says, and by the way, you children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. He expected them to be in the service. In the previous chapter, he was addressing the husband's wife, chapter 6. He addressed the service. This shows that Paul expected the children to be part of the church service. Not to be off in some children's ministry. you got to understand this. There is no scriptural reference, re- reference that as an example demonstrates 
as a method teaches or as a command mandates any children's ministries. It's not in the Bible. And if you could show it to me, I'd be happy. Look, I, I don't have an agenda here. My agenda is the Word of God. You show me a Sunday school in the Bible, we'll start one. Show me a nursery in the Bible, we'll do it. Here's the problem. It's not there. You said, why are you a family-integrated church? Number one, family-integrated churches are patterned after Scripture. The example in the Old Testament is that the men, women, and children stay together. The example in the New Testament is that the men, women, and children stay together. Number two, for those of you taking notes, family-integrated churches are not only patterned after Scripture, but family-integrated churches are protective of the children. Let me say that again. Family-integrated churches are protective of the children. Go with me to the book of Jude. It's the book right before the book of Revelation. Revelation is the last book in the New Testament. Right before Revelation, you got the book of Jude. And I don't like dealing with this subject, but we need to deal with it. Jude, it's only one chapter. Look at verse 4. I want you to notice something in Scripture. Jude, verse 4, the Bible says this. It's one, it's one chapter right before the book of Revelation. Jude, and look at verse 4. The Bible says, For there are certain men crept in unawares. Now, the word unawares there means that we are not aware. Okay, They're secret about it. Certain men crept in unawares. Now, I want you to notice what Jude warns us about these men that are crept in unaware, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Now, notice what he says about these men that are crept in unawares. Ungodly men. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Now that, that word lasciviousness, the connotation is a sexual type lust. He said, there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. He says, these are ungodly men. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the Lord, uh, the, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 7. We could read the whole thing, but we won't do it for the sake of time. You can do it on your own. Look at verse 7. Notice what he says in verse 7 about these certain men that are crept in unawares. Verse 7, he says, even as... Okay, so he's going to give us an example of these certain men crept in unawares. He says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah, what do you think of? Sodomy? Homosexuality? Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, notice, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. The, uh, the, the word strange there means it's not natural. So they weren't going after flesh that was natural, but they were going to foreign flesh, men with men, women with women. Now here's what you understand. He says, even as, he says, there are certain men crept in unawares, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh and sending forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Look at verse 8. Likewise also, or in the same way. And I know that today people don't like you preaching against the Sodomites, but the Bible says it is an abomination. The Bible says it is not natural. The Bible says it's not normal. And if you don't like it, go back to the book of Genesis and read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what you'll find? You'll find men that were raping or wanting to rape men and children. And in Jude 1.8, he says about these men that are crept in and aware, he says, likewise also, he says, in the same way, these Filthy, dreamers, defiled. You know what the word defile means? It means to desecrate. It means to violate. Defile the flesh. Despise dominion, speak evil of dignity. You know what Jude was warning us of? Jude was saying that there's going to come into our church. I'm telling you. Jude was telling us that there's going to come into our church, Verity Baptist Church. There's going to come in men, crept in, unawares, and they're here for one reason. They want to defile someone. 
See, I don't like talking about that. I don't like thinking about that. Neither do I, but you know what? We need to understand. There are people that go to churches to try to molest and hurt children. Notice what Peter said about that. Go, you're there in Jude. Go, go back uh, past 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and, and you'll get to 2nd Peter. Notice what, what Peter said about it. 2nd Peter chapter 2. 2nd Peter chapter 2, look at verse 10. 2nd Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. 2nd Peter chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible says this. 2nd Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the, make note of this word, lust. You see that? But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignity. Skip down to verse 14. Look what he says. Having eyes full of adultery. A reference to a sexual type sin. He says, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Notice this phrase. Beguiling unstable souls. Who are they beguiling? Who are they tricking? Mature individuals, no, unstable souls, probably a reference to children. In heart, they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Skip down to verse 18. We won't take the time to read the whole chapter. You can do it on your own. Look at verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, notice, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Do you see that? Through much wantonness. Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. You know what Jude warns us of and you know what Peter warns us of? They warn us about the fact that in our congregations there will come in people crept in unawares. You won't know them. Say, well, I know, I know. No, you don't. Remember when Jesus at the Last Supper there, he he was saying, one of you is going to betray me? And they said, who is it, Lord? No one knew it was Judas Iscariot. He had crept in unawares. And even when Jesus said, they said, well, who is it? He said, hey, the guy I give the sop to, that's who it is. And then he hands him the sop, and they still are just like, I'm not sure, who is it, Jesus? Judas was that good. Judas was that godly. Judas had such a front that they were like, wait, are you sure, Judas? And the Bible tells us, when when Jesus told Judas to get out, they said, oh, Judas went out. I'm sure he's going to go buy something for the homeless, or he's going to go give something to the poor, because there's no way that it was Judas. And who was it? Judas. They crept in unawares. And they walk after the flesh, the lust of uncleanness, beguiling unstable souls. They allure through the lust of the flesh. Look, you do not need to look very hard to find that children are being molested and attacked on a regular and frequent basis all across our nation's churches. Is that not true? Open up a newspaper. Do a Google search. Now listen to me. The reason for this is because children's ministries lend themselves to allow predators access to many children. Now look. Understand what I'm saying. We understand that most of these churches that have children's ministries, they're not bad people. And they do their best and try to attempt to keep the children safe. And they make the people go through background checks. And I I understand that. But you need to understand this. The predators seem to be able to get past the background checks. They're able to fool people and they get access to kids. And you need to understand. You know why at Verity Baptist Church, the children are the most safe than any other church that I know of in the city? You know why? Because your kids are never away from you. We never separate your children from you. You don't walk in and we say, here, give me your little, you know, uh, seven-year-old daughter that's vulnerable, that can't defend herself, and let me go put her in a classroom over here and close the door and put her with a guy that I met last week, but he wants to teach Sunday school. Let me put her in there. That doesn't happen here. We keep the children in the service. Why? Because they are the safest under the care of mom and dad. God gave them to you. God gave you those kids. 
So why are, you, why are you a family integrated church? Because churches that are family integrated, not only are they patterned after scripture, but they are the most protective for the children. You say, well, pastor, should we be, should we be uh, you know, just uh, looking at everyone and, and accusing everyone and, and, and being suspicious people? You don't have to at Verity Baptist Church because there's never a time where you have to worry about, is that guy a weirdo or is that lady kind of odd? You never have to worry about it because guess what? Your kids are always with you. So why are we a family-integrated church? Number one, family-integrated churches are patterned after Scripture. Number two, family-integrated churches are protective of the children. Number three, we're almost done. Family-integrated churches are partners of the family. For those of you taking notes, I'll say that again. Family-integrated churches are partners of the family. Can you get back to Ephesians? Remember I told you to put your place in Ephesians? We're, gonna, we're, we're almost done. We're going to go back to Ephesians, then we're going to go to Deuteronomy. We'll be done. It is the parent's job to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 4. Notice what the Bible says. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do you see that? Whose job is it to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? The fathers. And there's many scriptures that tell us, Mom, it's your job too. We preached a whole sermon on that a couple weeks ago. Parenting functional children, if you didn't listen, if you didn't get it, go on the internet and, and, and listen to it or, or get the CD or whatever. But you need to understand this, okay? God gave, people have this idea. They think, well, I bring my kids to church and I let the church disciple them. I let the church nurture them. I let the church teach them the Bible. No, mom, no, dad. It's your job to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Can you get back to Deuteronomy chapter 6? T- told you we're almost done. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. We saw this a few weeks ago, but let's just look at it again. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6, the Bible says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Now, I want you to notice this. Look at verse 7. And thou, thou, this is Moses speaking to the parents. He says, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Whose job is it to teach your kids the Bible? It is your job. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine head, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and of thy gates. You, uh, you need to understand this. Mom and dad, it's your job to train your kids. It's your job to teach them the Bible. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Now you've got to understand this. Verity Baptist Church is not here to replace you. And we don't even want to compete with you. We're here to partner up with you. You know, the average church, a family that gets connected into a church with children and youth ministries, you know what ends up happening? And, and they don't even really understand it most of the time until it's too late. Mom and dad end up competing with the church. Remember the first sermon we talked about, keeping your children's hearts? Look, you got to understand this. I, we're never going to have a youth pastor at Verity Baptist Church. You know why? I don't need a youth pastor stealing the hearts of your children. And then your kids are coming home to you and telling you how godly the youth pastor was and the youth pastor does this and the youth pastor does that. And mom and dad, you don't know what you're talking about because you never went to Bible college. And you're like, he's 22 years old. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> Look, we're not here to compete with you. I'm not here to compete with you. I don't want to raise your kids for you. 
We're never going to have a youth pastor or a Sunday school teacher or anything. Everything we do at Verity Baptist Church will include mom and dad. Why? Because it's your job to raise them, not us. And if you're looking for a church, well, I was looking for a church where I could just kind of have a free babysitter and I can drop them off, and then, then you're looking for the wrong church. There's one, two, three, six down the street. There's a church down the street that'll put your kid in a trailer and let them play video games while you're in church. I don't know how you justify that from Scripture, but you're obviously not patterning yourself after the Bible. I don't remember reading Paul saying, put them in a bus and let them play video games all day so they don't distract mom and dad. You say, why are we a family-integrated church? Because family-integrated churches are patterned after Scripture. Because family-integrated churches are protective of the children. Because family-integrated churches are partners of the family. See, that can be good or bad for you, depending on what kind of parent you are. Because if you're involved and you want to teach your kids the Bible, you say, good, I don't need to compete. I don't have someone that's trying to steal the hearts of my children. I can partner up with the church, and the church can help me to raise these kids. But listen to me, if you're a lazy parent, and you're like, well, I don't really want to have to deal with my kids. Don't you know? I just kind of want to get rid of them. I have them in school all day. Then I put them in daycare after school. Then on Sundays, I don't want to have to deal with them. On Saturdays, I send them off to Little League, and on Sundays, I just want to take them to a church that's going to get them away from me. Now, if you're that type of the parents, you ought to repent and get your heart right, number one. You ought to want to spend time with your kids. Now, here, now you say, well, well you got to understand this. It would be easier. Our church would grow faster if we did not take this position. Because countless families have left this church because they say, I cannot control my children. <laughs> You need the sermon we preached about for the children. Let me just give some advice to you. Train your kids. We offer these mother baby rooms. Listen, ladies, those mother baby rooms are not there so you can go in there and play Monopoly or whatever you do in there. Those rooms are there for you to train your children. The goal is to get them out here so they can hear the word. And by the way, you need it too. The goal is to train them to bring them. You take them in there, you discipline them or whatever it is you need to do, and then get them back. And by the way, if you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and you're training your little child, no one's going to look down on you. In fact, we're going to be praise the Lord that there is a mom, that there is a dad that wants to train and discipline their children. We're not going to look down on you. We want you to do that. Because we know that that's the next generation. Train your kids. By the way, you say, well, how do we train your kids? Something great that you could do is when you go home and make your kids sit while you read the Bible to them. And when they start getting up, you say, nope, we're going to sit here and you're going to... And teach your kids to be... Now, look, it's going to be hard at first, but eventually you'll reap those rewards. And we have many kids that are able to sit in the service and have no problem. And I know when kids first come here, they don't know that. And that's okay. We're patient. We love you. We're not looking down on you. We're on your side. Say, well, my kid cries and this. Discipline them. Teach them. You don't know how to discipline them. Uh, please, please, listen to the sermon, Functioning, uh, Parenting Functional Children, on the website. You need the CD, tell me, I'll get it for you. You say, I don't know how to discipline my kids. The Bible teach you, teaches you how to do it. Let me give some advice to those of you that don't, have parent, that don't have kids. If you don't have any kids, please do me a favor. Don't look down on these kids. I, I don't want this attitude developing in our church where it's like, well, these little snot-nosed kids. We'll get rid of you before we get rid of the kids. And I mean it. You say, well, why, why would you do that? Because I don't have to fight with the kids. <laughs> They're not hard-headed. Remember the beginning of the service? They're sponges. They're going to be here longer than you will. 
They're the next generation. Don't look down on those kids. These kids are running around during the service. Don't look down on them. Look, they, they had a mom and dad make them sit down for an hour and listen to me preach, okay? You let them run around. It's no problem. One of these days, one of you wants to donate a million dollars to Verity Baptist Church, we'll go build a building with a big old yard and a, a playground, and we'll put a fence around it, and we'll light it, and, and they can play out there. But for now, don't look down on those kids. Mom and dad are disciplining their children. Don't look down on those parents. Don't say, well, when I was a kid. No, you didn't. When you were raising your kids, your kids were brats. You know it's true. You can't get your adult kids to come to church with you, and then you're getting down on these parents that are trying to raise their kids. Why are we a family-integrated church? Because I believe it is the way that God designed for us to pass our faith to the next generation. We're all four kids. We, you know, on a regular basis, we'll have things, family fun night. But you look, family fun night is not you dropping off your kids and having a free babysitter. Family fun night is you as a family, having some fun in church with your kids. That's why, that's why we do it. Family-integrated churches are patterned after Scripture, protective of the children, and they are partners, not in competition, but they are partners of the family. Let's bow our heads.